Chapter Seventeen of Dawn of the Morning. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rosamond Kingsley, ninety-eight. Dawn of the Morning by Grace Livingston Hill, Chapter Seventeen. Dawn fled through the dark grass straight from the house not knowing or thinking where she was going, only to get away. In a moment she reached a high hedge of dense growth, and, not daring more than to glance toward the house, she crept swiftly along toward the street. A few rods from the sidewalk she found a small opening, and slipped through into another great yard. Keeping close to the hedge, she soon reached the front, and slid out at the gate like a wraith wondering what she would do if someone in the neighbor's house should accost her. But no one was near. She could hear footsteps coming and gay voices, so she turned and hurried the other way, though it carried her past the house she had just left. It would not do, she thought, to meet anyone just yet. It was this little circumstance that determined the direction of her flight, and carried her away from the road her kindly pursuers expected her to take. She presently reached a lane and turned into it. It happened to be a private lane leading to a farmhouse set far back from the street, and, as she approached the house, the deep bay of hounds heralded her coming. Her heart stood still with fright, for she had read much about the horror of being pursued by bloodhounds. In those days there was much talk of the pursuit of escaped slaves, and the girl's imagination suddenly saw herself surrounded by a great pack of hounds sent to bring her back. She paused and crouched beside the fence. Presently she heard a man's voice not far away, and saw a speck of light moving and bobbing here and there near the dark outline of the house. Then her senses came back. This was not a dog sent after her, but a man, who had heard her, an intruder, near the house. Perhaps he would come and search her out. She must get over that fence as fast as possible. The silk skirts rustled horribly, and cold chills of apprehension crept down Dawn's back, as she found how much harder it was to climb a fence encumbered by long skirts and a bundle than when dressed as a carefree schoolgirl. That gave her an idea. She ought to get off that silk dress as soon as possible, for its noise would attract attention. Another howl of the dog startled her, just as she cleared the fence, so she began to run. Fortunately, the house was between her and the town, and she had not to turn back upon her way. She discovered by the humps and hillocks that she was in a meadow, and she struck out as far away from the house as possible, though the way was rough and several times she fell. But the dog's howling was more distant now, and she concluded he had been chained. Ahead of her she could see a dark line of trees, and she hurried toward them. At least, she could pause there a minute and arrange her clothing. She crept within the edge of the woods, and dared not look around. So easily her imagination could people it with evil spirits. She was naturally of a courageous nature, and at school had always been ready to dare anything just for fun. But it was a different matter to be running away into the great night world of a place you had never seen. With trembling fingers, she unfastened her bundle. 
being careful to stick the pins on the corner of her handkerchief in her handbag, where she could find them in the dark. It was a work of time and care to extricate the little grey frock from the bundle and be sure to lose nothing in the darkness. She unrolled it cautiously, gathering the other things within the largest garment she had brought, and then slipped the dress out from underneath, first taking the precaution to pin the smaller bundle together. Then she took off her mantle, slipped out of her silk frock, and into the grey one, all the time nervously staring into the darkness of the fields through which she had just come. What if someone should catch her now? The blood pounded through her heart and poured up into her face, as though it were on a mad race to strangle her. Her hair was wet with perspiration and clinging to her forehead, yet she felt a chill. It seemed as if her fingers were growing wooden and clumsy as she turned the silk frock inside out and folded it carefully, pinning it over the other bundle so that it would show only a grey cotton lining. The silk mantle she had put on again, and, feeling carefully about to see that she had left nothing behind, she turned to face the blackness of the woods. It was only a maple sugar grove on the edge of a prosperous farm, but it looked inky black and might have been filled with all sorts of wild animals, for aught she knew. Yet she pressed on. She felt as if the woods were a friend, at least. She had been used to walking among the trees and telling her troubles there to the birds and the breezes, and now it seemed a natural refuge in spite of its blackness. If only it were the old woods she knew at school, she would not be afraid at all. But fear, henceforth, must have no part in her life. She had herself to look out for, and she would never, never go again, where anyone could talk to her as that dreadful woman had talked. She shuddered as she remembered the cold, cultured voice, and the scorn that had pierced her soul with a shame that she knew was unjust. Her rising anger helped her to go on and put down any timidity that she might have felt, and presently through feeling from tree to tree she came out to the other side of the maple grove. Far away to the east she could see a pale moon rising. She started toward it, keeping close to the maple grove as if it were a friend. The way led over two or three more meadows, and now in her little grey frock she found it much easier to climb the fences. At last she came to a straight, white road in the country, with a slender moon hanging low over it. With relief she climbed over the intervening fence and took her way along the beaten path. Her light prunella slippers had found it hard travelling in the meadows. The day had been a long one and filled with excitement, beginning with fear and trouble and preceded by a sleepless night. Dawn was very weary now that she had felt herself safe from the terror that possessed her. Yet she must walk all night, for it would not be safe to lie down, she knew. She had heard of wild beasts lurking on the edges of towns, and a wolf or a bear would not be a pleasant companion. On she went through the sweet summer night, slackening not her pace, even though there was now no longer need for haste. It seemed to her tired spirit that she must go on and on thus, throughout ages, always alone and misunderstood and pursued. The thought of her husband and their beautiful day together seemed like some tantalizing dream that hovered on her memory and sickened her with its impossibility. Such joy as his love offered her was too great for her ever to have hoped to attain. 
yet in her secret soul she knew she was glad to have had it, even if only to have it snatched from her. As she thought over her own hasty action in leaving her husband's home forever, she could not feel she had done wrong. Never, never could she have lived with others taunting her that she had been married out of pity, for that was what his mother's words had meant. Charles had not married her for love, but for pity, because, for some unexplained reason, Harrington had chosen to desert her at the last minute. Her exhausted spirit did not care to know the reason. She could but be thankful that he had. Anything, anything was better than to have been married to him. All at once a wild fear possessed her that perhaps by leaving the refuge of his brother's home she had again put herself in danger of Harrington. Perhaps he would find her out, follow her, and compel her to come with him. As the night went on, all sorts of curious fancies took possession of her excited brain, until she started at her own shadow and thought someone was following her when all was still in the empty road behind. Once or twice she sat down by the roadside to rest, but the awful desire for sleep which crept over her frightened her, and she staggered to her feet again. The road wound into a lonesome wood of tall forest trees, so high that the moon's faint glimmer served only to make the path look blacker. But now she was too dead with weariness to have any fear, and she walked on and on into the blackness of the forest with no care save to keep going. At last, under a group of pines that huddled together as if they were of one family, she stumbled over a great root that obtruded among the slippery pine needles and fell headlong. She lay still for a moment, dazed, and then the sense of relief and exhaustion became so great that, without a thought of wild beasts, she drew her bundle up under her head and continued to lie still on the soft sweet bed of needles. The great pines bent their feathery heads over her, and the wind crept into the branches and softly sang a lullaby over the lonely little pilgrim. Regardless of dangers that might be stalking about her, she slept. Quite early in the morning, before the first faint streaks of day had penetrated the cool retreat where dawn lay asleep, there came a soft murmur of gentle music from the trees all about, and soon a sleepy twitter brightened and grew into a chorus of melody, bird answering to bird from tree to tree. Up and down and around, in and out and over, the threads of song spun themselves into a lovely golden web of harmony that seemed to shut the vaulted forest in loftily from all the world, and in the midst of it all dawn awoke. It was quite gradual her return to consciousness, as if the atmosphere of sweetness and melody pervaded her soul and stirred it from its slumber in spite of itself, bringing new life and a great peace. At first, she did not open her eyes nor think where she was. It was enough that she smelled the pines and felt the soft lap of nature where she lay. It seemed still, very still, and restful, cool, and sweet, and dark. That she knew with her eyes closed, up above, where the birds sang, she seemed to feel a golden light coming, coming, and knew that it would soon grow into morning. 
but now she might just allow herself this little time to lie still and listen and wait. There came to her consciousness a thrill of freedom that in her fright and hurry the night before she had not realized. For months now, she had been half planning to run away from the things that were saddening her life, and now she had done it. She was free, free to order her small life for herself. Down deep in her heart tugged the agony of a great loss, yet it was as of the loss of something she had never really had, only dreamed of briefly. She would not let herself think of Charles now. She wanted to keep his memory as something sweet to take out and look at sometimes when she was lonely, but that could not be until the first bitterness of the shame of her union to him was past. She wanted to forget the scene in his mother's room, her terrible helplessness before the onslaught of the woman's tongue, and just to rest and feel that she was free. Freedom meant getting away from Harrington Winthrop and from her stepmother and from her father's wrath or his possible efforts to shape her life. What else it meant she had yet to learn. She supposed there was some place in the world where she might work for what she needed. The thought of her livelihood did not trouble her. Youth feels equal to its own support always, as if it has any spirit at all. Dawn had plenty of spirit and felt sure she could earn her board and keep. At present, she was concerned only in getting rested and getting away as far as possible from all the evil things which seemed to have combined to crush her. The light came on and the morning entered the forest. A saucy little squirrel ran up the tree beneath which the girl lay and, poised on a high twig, looked down and chattered at her noisily. Down fell a bit of bark upon Dawn's face, and, laughing involuntarily, she sat up and looked about her. The dim aisles of the forest were lit with golden lights now, and the birds, their matins almost finished, were hurrying about with breakfast preparations. A wood thrush spilled his liquid notes out now and then, like a silver spoon dropped into a glass. A robin called his mate and a blackbird whistled forth a silken melody. Dawn laughed aloud again at the squirrel, and tossed back the curls that had come loose from the confining comb during her sleep. It was good just to be here and to be free. The squirrel chattered back at her and ran up the tree. Dawn unpinned her bundle and made her simple toilette. There was no brook near where she could wash her face, but perhaps she would come to one by and by. She combed out her hair as well as she could with only a back comb and did it up on her head, for she must have dignity now if she were going out in the world to shift for herself. Then she looked over her small possessions, carefully, as a shipwrecked mariner might take account of the wreckage he had saved. She took a kind of fierce joy in the thought that she had brought none of the elaborate garments which her stepmother had prepared for her trousseau. They were all the simple school garments that had been put at the bottom of her trunk. She rolled up the bundle again and pinned it closely, then tied her bonnet on demurely, straightened her frock, and was ready for the day. A soft little pathway of light beckoned her through the woods, and she followed it. 
her bundle tucked under her cape, her handbag with its cords safely twisted about her wrist. The bar of light grew brighter and broader and led her to another road. Unwittingly, she had come away that would take her far from the place where she started more directly than any other she could have chosen. The sight of the white road in the dewy morning light gave her new zest for her journey. Her sleep, short though it had been, had rested her wonderfully, and she was eager to get on her way. She climbed the fence and fairly flew down the road. It was very early, and she would be far on her way before people were up and stirring. There were mileposts on this road and guideboards sometimes at crossroads. That meant that a stage route came that way. She studied the next guideboard carefully and decided she was on the direct route to New York and that the miles might mean from New York to somewhere else. Not Albany, of course, for she must be far to the west of that. Perhaps she would find out later as she went on. What if she should go as far as New York? How long would it take her? She could not go all at once, probably, but gradually she might work her way down. Why not? The world was before her. She would watch the mileposts and see how long it took her to go a mile. Thus dreaming, she flew along like a bird. Here and there she passed a farm, and soon she began to see signs of life about. The men were coming from the barns with brimming pails of milk. As she passed one house somewhat nearer to the road than the rest, she caught the fragrance of frying ham and the aroma of coffee. It made her hungry. A mile further, she came to a small white house not far from the roadside. Outside the door, a woman who wore a sunbonnet and a big apron sat on a three-legged stool, milking a mild old cow. As dawn came near, the woman gave the last scientific squeeze and moved the pail from its position under the cow. Then, taking the stool in one hand and the pail in the other, started for the house. The face she showed beneath the deep sunbonnet was a kindly one. Following an impulse, Dawn turned in at the front gate, and the old woman paused to see what she wanted. "'Could you please let me have a glass of milk?' Dawn's voice was sweet, and she held her purse in her hand. "'I would be glad to pay for it. I started early this morning, and am hungry. I'm on my way to the next village.' The woman's face lit up at the sight of the girl's smile. "'A glass of milk,' she said. "'Of course I can, but I don't want no pay for it. Just you keep your pennies for a new ribbon to wear under that pretty chin. Set down under the tree there on the bench, and I'll bring a cup. She put down her pail on a large flat stone and hurried in, coming out in a moment with a plate of steaming johnny cake and a flowered cup of delicate china. The woman strained the milk into the cup and stood watching her while she ate the delicious breakfast. Come fur? asked the hostess, eyeing the sweet young tramp appreciatively. From beyond Scoheri, she answered quickly, remembering the name on the last crossroad signboard she had passed. Hm, right smart way for a little slip of thing like you to come alone. You must have started for light. Soon after, laughed Dawn. She felt as if she were playing a game. Then, perceiving that the old lady was curious and would ask questions that she did not care to answer, she launched into a description of the morning sky and the early bird songs. The old woman watched her as if she were drinking in a picture that did her good. Bless me, she said. That sounds like poetry verses. 
How do you think it up? Then she whisked into the house again and came out with a paper of doughnuts. You might get hungry again, for you get to the village, and these doughnuts was extra good this time. Just take em and eat em to pass the time as you go. If you feel hungry when you come along back, just stop in. I'll be glad to see your pretty face. It does a body good. Going back before sundown? No, said Don. I may stay some time. I'm not sure. But I thank you very much for your kind invitation, and I know I shall enjoy the doughnuts. I love doughnuts. We used to have them in school once a week in the winter, but only one apiece. So you've been to boarding school. The old woman would fain have detained her, but Dawn edged away toward the gate, thanking her sweetly all the while, and saying she must hasten, for the sun was getting high. She hurried down the road at last, pretending not to hear the old woman's question about who were her friends in Scoheri and where she was going to visit in the village. Her cheeks were bright with the excitement of the little episode, and she trilled a gay song as she fled on her unknown way. For the time being, all sadness was put away, and she was gay and free as a lark, just a happy child. A farmer's boy on a hay wagon crawling along to the village stopped his whistling and stared at her, and the hired man on top of the load called out to him some remark about her that made the color grow brighter in her cheeks and her heart flutter wildly in her breast. She could not hear what words the man had spoken, but his tone had been contemptuous and familiar. She fairly flew by the team and fled on down the road. By noon the johnny cake and milk were dreams of the past, and she was exceedingly hungry, yet she had not come to a place where she cared to ask for dinner. Every farmhouse she came to seemed to have plenty of farmhands about, coming in to their dinner, and she dreaded their eyes upon her. So she sat down under a tree by the roadside and ate her fat, sugary doughnuts, rested a few minutes, and plodded on. The afternoon was more wearisome. Her slippers hurt her feet, and she had to stop often to rest. About five o'clock she came to a neat-looking inn by the roadside, where a decent woman sat knitting by the door, and Dawn decided to sacrifice something from her small store of money and stop overnight. The woman eyed her curiously when she asked for a room and supper. Not many pilgrims so young or so beautiful passed her way unattended. Dawn explained that she was on her way to another town to look for something to do. I suppose you're expecting to teach school, said the woman disapprovingly. They all do nowadays, when they better be home helping their mothers make bread and pies. My mother is dead, said Dawn quietly, and I must earn my own living now. The woman was silenced and gave the young traveler a pleasant little whitewashed room where she slept soundly. But an idea had come to her. A teacher, of course. She could be a teacher. Had she not led her classes and always been successful in showing the girls at school how to do their sums, she would enjoy playing the part of friend Ruth and putting a class through its paces. It quite interested her to think how she would do it. But how would she get her school? Should she go to New York and try, or begin in a country one first? The thought interested her all through the day, which was Saturday, and kept away the undertone of consciousness of a deep loss. But once toward evening, she passed a shiny new carryall, in which rode a young man and a girl, and a sharp pang shot through her heart, as it brought back vividly to her memory the beautiful day which she and Charles had spent together.
And then her mind went back to the first time she had seen him, that day when she was standing on the hilltop with her small audience before her and looked up and seen the shining of his eyes. It came to her then that she had a certain right of possession in him, as if that day had given her to him and him to her in a bond that could never be broken, no matter how far they might be separated. Quiet joy settled down upon her with the thought that, whatever might come, whether she ever saw him again or not, she was his wife and nobody, nobody could ever take the thought of it from her. The sun was setting and evening bells were ringing in the spire of a little white church as she came into a small village nestled at the foot of a circle of hills. It reminded her that the next day was the Sabbath. They had no sweet association for her since her mother's death, but though she had been only a little child, she could remember walking by her mother's side to church with her little starched skirt swinging and her mitted hands folded demurely over her pocket handkerchief while the bells rang a cheery call to prayer. There had been no bells on the meeting house to which the scholars of friend Ruth's school were taken every first day, and nothing about the service to remind her of the church, where she had sat by her mother's side in the high-backed pew and heard the hymns lined out, trying to follow the singing of the congregation with her wee sweet voice. But now the bells harked back over the years and brought an aching memory of her almost forgotten little girlhood. A sudden longing to go to church as she used to do, came over her, and she decided to find a place in the village to stay over Sunday and go to service in the little white spire church. Besides, it was against the law in those days for anyone to travel unnecessarily on the Sabbath day. Dawn never thought of doing so any more than she would have contemplated the possibility of stealing. It chanced that she arrived at the village tavern about the same time as the stagecoach from the opposite direction, and no one noticed that she had not come on the stage, for there were a number of travelers who stopped off here for the Sabbath. Seeing them descending from the coach, she went in haste to the landlady and begged that she might have a tiny room to herself. She was a little frightened at the thought of paying a whole dollar out of her small hoard for the lodging and her meals until after breakfast Monday morning, but she shut her eyes to the thought of it and took the room. It was only a tiny one over a shed that was given her, but everything was clean and sweet, and the supper smells came richly up through the open window to her hungry senses. On the whole, she was quite content when she lay down to rest in her own little room that night and dreamed of church bells and weddings and sweet fields of clover and new-mown hay. End of chapter 17 Recording by Rosman Kingsley, 98